Os Guinness, I've heard Os Guinness talk about <clears throat> the Beatitudes and uh, just how surprising they are. And he says that it's, you know, Jesus comes up to you and offers you his hand to shake, and you go to shake his hand, and then he surprises you by punching you in the stomach, knocks the wind out of you. And that's that's the feel. It should be the feel. Sadly, we've gotten so inured to them that they don't shock us anymore, but that was really how the Beatitudes and so much of Jesus' teaching struck people initially. Um, blessed are the fill-in-the-blank. Everyone would have said rich, healthy. No, Jesus says blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the persecuted. What? Blessed are the hungry. What? He turns the tables over constantly. And man, as we look here at his entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, as recorded by Mark, boy, does he ever turn the tables over on the expectations of the Jews then, and really on ours, if we're honest with ourselves about what we expect and want from him, even today. Even though we know that he comes to go to the cross, he comes into Jerusalem, and for the first time, really, he's open. He receives the praise of those who believe that he's the Messiah. And they rightly believe that he's the Messiah. He is the Messiah, but he's not the kind of Messiah that they think he is. And so it's a total setup. But he's receiving their praise openly as as the son of David, as the deliverer. And he's going to deliver them. But here's the catch. Mark so subtly and beautifully shows he's not at all going to deliver them in the way that they thought or from what they thought. And it's a shocker. It shocks everyone. It shocks the disciples. It shocks Jesus' own mother who stands at a distance as he's crucified. He is coming in, not on a war horse, to conquer like they want him to, to conquer Rome, to get rid of our pain. Let me apply this to us. To get rid of our cancer, to get rid of our bad spouse, bad boss, all the bills that I have to pay. I'm speaking personally now. The children that I've lost, all of my character flaws, all the problems that I have in life. And on and on it goes, right? He's not a fairy magician that's going to just poof, get rid of all my problems. That's not the victory he came for. He came to defeat a much larger, much more important foe. He came to take care of the problem that stands between us and a holy and righteous God who cannot stand our sin. Wow. He came to take care of that problem. But as he rides into Jerusalem, he uh, he receives all the praise, and so the crowds are adoring him. But under the surface, you look at the details of his entry, and you realize that he is he's a humble He's a hidden king with with humble power to save. Um, with humble power to save, not overt power. And I think the donkey kind of encapsulates this best. He he comes in on a donkey and on the foal of a the foal of a donkey, the child of a donkey, un unridden, unbroken. Matthew, the way Matthew describes it, he's actually probably riding on on both, or at least with the foal. Um, and with the mother next to the foal and riding on the foal. So he's riding on this beast of burden, not on a glorious war horse. Um, but, he's, but he's still, I mean, Israelite kings of old would come in 
uh, into the town during their coronation in a victory in a victory march on donkeys that was wasn't unprecedented so this is a claim to messiahship and he receives all the praise hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord they're quoting from the psalms they're clearly saying this man is the son of david and everyone knew that was going to messiah was going to be a son of david and he's receiving all that but he's not coming in on a conquering war horse he's coming in on on a lowly beast of burden um He's, um, but, but, but why do I say that the donkey encapsulates that best? Not just because it shows his humility, but also because it shows his power. And that's kind of where you got to take a closer look. I mean, think about, think about this. It's not just a, a beast of burden that's been harnessed and that's been, um, harnessed to the plow and that's been ridden. I guess donkeys probably weren't used for the plow, but it's not a, it's not a donkey who's been ridden. It's a, it's the foal of a donkey, a colt who has never been ridden. And this colt lets Jesus sit on him in a crowd, a mad, crazy crowd that's shouting and probably closing in quite tightly on Jesus, throwing stuff in front of him, branches, coats. The donkey, the colt, doesn't flinch, doesn't buck, doesn't throw Jesus off. He's probably riding side saddle. Why? Because the cult knows its creator. Jesus made this cult, and only he and the disciples know that this is happening. Everyone else isn't in on it, but Jesus and a few, kind of like at the miracle at Cana when he turns the water into wine, there are only a few, like the servants and the disciples and Mary, his mother, who know what he's done. He doesn't take credit for it. He's glad to be sort of in the shadows, as it were. He's a humble king. But here, in the same way that the donk, the colt, um, the, the, the foal of a donkey shows Jesus' humility, it also shows his power. But it's a cloaked power. He doesn't need, this colt doesn't need to be broken. Because, because his maker is riding him. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing on so many levels. And you see, you know, not going to extrapolate here, but you see other incidences in the text as you march on to the fig tree and into the temple as he goes into the temple and the next day he starts turning tables over. His authority, the authority that he claims and saying, hey, this is my father's house. This is my father's house. I have the authority. This is the place where my dad is worshipped. I mean, he's claiming to be the son of the living God in doing what he does and cleansing the temple. And he says things like, hey, they say, what, by what authority are you doing this? Hey, if you, uh, here, by, by this authority, you knock this whole temple complex down in three days, I'll raise it up again. In other words, he's saying, I am, he's talking about the cross, right? And the resurrection. He's saying, I am this temple. I am the place through innocent and pure sacrifice where guilty man meets with a righteous God in peace because of perfect bloodshed that covers sin. I'm the thing the temple points to. I'm the thing the priest points to. I'm the thing the sacrifices for centuries have pointed to. 
I am the true king. I am the king that every king of Israel should have been but wasn't. I am the true Israel. I am the true son of God, the obedient son. And on and on and on and on it goes. So there are so many little instances that are all sort of covert in Mark's account here. When he curses the fig tree, he just speaks a word to it, and the next day it's completely shriveled. He's the king of creation. He's the master of this cult. He's the maker of the fig tree. His dad is God, so he can clear out the temple. He is the temple. Making all these grandiose claims, they'd be grandiose if anyone else were making them, but they're true because he's making them. And yet he's this humble king. And what's the other thing about the donkey? I kept, I said in the beginning, I keep returning to it. The donkey sort of encapsulates all these things. The do- donkey doesn't just show us his humility, also shows us his power, but also shows us the way that he came to save us. They, we, they thought, and, and let's not cast aspersions, we think he will save us from our discomfort, from our pain, from our insecurity. No. The donkey, what's the donkey not? The donkey's not a war horse. He didn't come on a war horse to crush all opposed to him. He came to be crushed by those opposed to him, which, by the way, is all of us in our sin, because he came to die for our sin, with our sin upon him and soaking itself into his bones. He became our sin, Second Corinthians 5.21 on that cross. He died because of us. He died not to crush the opposition. He died willingly crushed by the opposition as the fall guy so that we could be saved. This is the nature of his salvation. He didn't come to crush his enemies. He came to be crushed by his enemies. And that was how he saved us. So not only does the donkey show us his humility and his cloaked power, it shows us the way that he came to save. Not by dominating, but by being being killed laying his life down it's something none of us expected even though he told his disciples overtly again and again it just isn't in our economy to conquer by being defeated he turns the tables over and he he's, he didn't stop saving this way at the cross this is the way this is the way he does things every and, and um, Paul Miller writes well, so well about this in the, his book, The J-Curve. But every, and Tim Keller talks about it in his newest book, The Hope of the Resurrection, um, Hope in Times of Fear, um, as the V-curve, or a V-shaped, I think he calls it like a V-shaped life. But the idea there being every chance, every, you know, great, Jesus' greatest victory was his death. And because of his laying his life down in his humility and his sacrifice, and his love, God the Father, Philippians 2, raised him to the highest place. And he's now seated with God the Father, and we with him in reigning until all of his enemies will be made a footstool for his feet because of what he's done. And that's the way our lives now work, isn't it? And you can see this in nature with the, the acorn that grows into a, an oak tree, but only if it dies, right? And, and so on and so forth. Um, Every chance that we have to die, to relinquish self, to serve, to not defend ourselves, is a chance for victory. It's a chance um, to see the power of the salvation of Jesus Christ worked out in us and through us. 
Not responding to the person that's accusing you. It could be your spouse. could be your enemy. Not responding to them by defending yourself, but rather by loving. How can you serve them? How can, maybe it's by listening. Maybe it's by doing the dishes. Maybe it's by taking them out to lunch. Maybe it's by cleaning their car. Maybe it's by taking out their trash. I don't know. But it's certainly not by standing on your rights. George MacDonald called them rag rights. No, it's not by standing on your rag rights. It's not by holding on to those rags. It's by dying. Every, every time we don't defend ourselves, every time we have all these little opportunities to die, every time we die, there's a resurrection that happens because of what Jesus has done. Nature shows us this. Our Messiah shows us this. There's power that's released. And it will make us more like him. And it will bring others to a saving faith in him. And it will cause his kingdom to go forward in power. But it's subversive, right? It's hidden. It's like a, like a mustard seed that grows into an invasive plant that ends up covering everything like kudzu. That's just the way it works. So be encouraged, you followers of the humble king. Let his kingdom grow in you and through you as you lay your life down because guess what you win because because of what he's done for you god bless you